Well, good morning. It is so good to be back in the pulpit. Uh, I have longed to be in the pulpit and preach to you. It's been quite some time, several months, but I can honestly say now as I look back and in retrospect that uh, I needed the rest probably more than you needed to hear me preach. Uh, I am so thankful uh, to Brother Rob and his faithfulness in bringing us the word uh, week in, week out. And I have been so blessed by his uh, sermons, and uh, I trust that you have been as well. And so uh, the long and the short of it is that I've, I've been working on this sermon since uh, mid-December, and uh, I, have, uh, I have spent uh, many hours in long preparation. I say that, uh, and you will still know that I was cramming desperately yesterday uh, to get ready for the sermon. I don't know. That's just one of my many character flaws, I think. But uh, since I've been working so long on this sermon, I have spent so much time on it. I am going to do my best to keep this uh, sermon to under somewhere around 20 to 25 hours. Um, but uh, I think you all know me pretty well, and you know that I'm probably going to be a whole lot closer to 20 to 25 minutes than 20 to 25 hours. But I will say this. As I was uh, working through yesterday and asking the Lord earnestly, uh, tell me, tell me what you want your people to hear. Uh, that I became convinced that uh, I had to, to cut the sermon in half. So you can all breathe a sigh of relief. I have gone from four points down to two. And uh, I think that um, I would love to preach all four points to you, but I'm not sure that, I mean, I'm sure that you, most of you would still be here physically, but I'm not sure that most of you would still be with me mentally, uh, emotionally, spiritually. The title of this sermon is The Destruction of American Idols. And note that I did not say The Destruction of American Idol. I'm not talking about the TV show here. Um, I'm talking about The Destruction of American Idols, plural idols. And so today, as the Lord wills, I will bring you a message on the, uh, the current state of affairs in our great nation on this 4th of July as we think back on all that God has done and marvel at what God has done. And uh, this message is about our nation, it's about our culture, it's about our hearts. And I only have, like I said, two points in the sermon. But I don't want you to think of them as points, I want you to think of them as, as statues. The first statue is the Statue of Liberty, and the Statue of Liberty will stand for America and all that we have lived, all that we are living, all that we by God's grace, we'll see in the future. That statue that beacons people from all over the world in New York Harbor, I believe that the Statue of Liberty symbolizes America so well. So that's the first statue. The second statue is a little bit different from the first, but it's likened to the first. The second statue is your grave statue. It's the statue your loved ones might put up over your grave once you die. It's you. And my question to you is, what will that statue look like? And as we contemplate these two statues, the Statue of Liberty on one hand, and the statue that will stand above your resting place, I want to focus on this problem that we have of idolatry. 
I think you would agree with me that our country has many idols. I'm not sure you would agree that we have many idols, but I believe that we do. So two statues today, the Statue of Liberty and then your personal grave statue. Are you ready? Let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of his word, the preaching of his word, the hearing of his word. Father, we come before you earnestly and ask, Lord, what do you have for us? Will you please speak to us through the Holy Spirit? Will you please whisper in our ears what we need to hear? Will you please quicken our hearts to do your will? We pray these things through Jesus who empowers us. Amen. Statue of Liberty, let's look first at the Statue of Liberty. Let's look at our country. I think you might agree with me if I said our country has suffered a lot in the last year and a half. There's been quite a bit of political turmoil. We survived yet again another presidential election. In this election, the presidency moved from Republican to Democrat control. In this election, the U.S. Senate moved from Republican control to Democrat control. For the first time since 2010, one party now controls both the executive and the legislative branches. And what about the third branch of our government, the judiciary? Well, that branch has seen its share of turmoil in the last year, year and a half as well. As the election loomed, liberal icon Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, and she was replaced with the conservative Amy Coney Barrett. So we've seen our share of political turmoil, but we've also suffered a very serious health crisis. We have, I think it's safe to say now, I think we have survived a major pandemic. The last global pandemic before this one was 1918, 1919, the Spanish flu. In this pandemic, hundreds of thousands of Americans have died. I would say that um, how many people in this audience um, lost a friend or a loved one uh, to the pandemic? And there's several hands. How many of you uh, actually uh, contracted COVID or the, the coronavirus, to the best of your knowledge? More than half of us, I believe. The scientific and the health response was unclear and uncertain, and confusion reigned supreme. We still don't know what happened, why it happened, or if our response was even appropriate. So we had political turmoil, we had social or health crisis, and, and we've had great social unrest as well. George Floyd, a black American, was murdered by a police officer who happened to be white, and we saw this murder on TV. Black Lives Matter and others seized this moment and organized huge rallies in many of our cities. Portland, Oregon looks like a war zone today. Portions of Seattle banded together and declared themselves an autonomous zone, whatever that is. Parts of Washington, D.C. look like a third world country in chaos. So we've had political turmoil. We have had a health crisis, unlike any I've ever seen in my life, and we've had social unrest that equals that that we saw back in the 60s. And then we had economic disaster as well. In the wake of the pandemic, many businesses closed never to open again. Unemployment 
shot up to historic highs. Productivity fell to unprecedented lows. What was touted by the president as the best economy in history was laid low in a stunning turn of events. Political turmoil, health crisis, social unrest, economic disaster. Would you agree with me that the last year and a half has been rather difficult for this country? And I think that points us to the question of what is God doing? It's always a good question. What is God doing? What is God doing to America? I believe that God is busy destroying. I believe he's humbling and destroying American idols. You remember in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, how God visited on that great superpower, the strongest nation on the earth, Egypt. Do you remember how God visited ten plagues and how each one of those plagues seemed to focus in on one of the gods, one of the many gods, one of the many idols that Egypt worshipped? It was like he was speaking directly to the Egyptians and the Israelites who were there in captivity. And he was humbling and then destroying their gods one by one. And I believe God is working on another superpower as well. I believe he's working on the United States of America. And he is destroying American idols in much the same way. Humbling them and then destroying them. Now we Christians tend to view idolatry as a thing of the past. Or if it touches our lives, perhaps it's in our Buddhist neighbors or or friends. Idolatry just doesn't seem to be a thing with us. We don't worship idols, or do we? We don't think it's a problem today in our American society. We remember the golden calf in the Old Testament. We think of other cultures that are very different from us. In his book, Here Are Your Gods, Christopher Wright stresses that idolatry is alive, this is a quote, idolatry is alive and well, even if it operates outside our conscious awareness. That's a great great quote. He goes on to say, idolatry often involves the perversion of something good in itself, like family, work, beauty, or sex. You remember last year when the rioters were toppling over the statues of famous Americans? You remember how they worked so hard to topple those statues? Sometimes they weren't even able to topple them. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you, when God, when the Lord God Almighty decides to get into the idle toppling business, it happens fast and it happens with stunning completeness. There is so much anger and rage around us. You following the news? You hearing about all the road rage in Murfreesboro? Reminds me of Psalm 2 one of my favorite psalms. The psalmist says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and His anointed one. They say, Let's tear off their chains and throw their ropes off of us. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. (laughs) The Lord ridicules them. And then He speaks to them in His anger and He terrifies them in His wrath. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance 
and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter. You will shatter them like pottery. So now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Pay homage to the Son, or you will perish in your rebellion. For His anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in Him are happy. I see so much in this passage. I see that God is firmly in control. I also see that the, it's utter madness, it's sheer foolishness for kings and judges and political authorities, bureaucrats, elected or unelected alike, to think that God is not in control and that they are not under His authority. I see the beautiful love of God the Father for God the Son. Psalm 2 is like Psalm 110 in that we get to have just a little peek at a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And let me tell you, they love each other. And it's a good thing because that love is then visited unto us. And God loved the world so much that He sent His beloved Son to die for us. I also see that the Lord's wrath and anger is directed at those who would dare mistreat his son. Pay homage to the son. Let me ask you. Is America showing the proper respect to Jesus Christ? The respect that he deserves? We better. Because his anger may ignite at any moment. And I also see that there's a nice little promise there at the end of Psalm 2. All who take refuge in him are happy. That's where our refuge is. Our refuge is in God, our rock, our strong tower, our fortress. When the Lord God Almighty starts toppling over statues and destroying idols, he's going to do it fast and he's going to do it with a completion that boggles the mind. And how the Lord has destroyed so many idols of American society recently. Let's look at a few of them. How about the idol of science? Humbled, destroyed. My niece Katie found this, sent this to me. She found this on a Lutheran website. This is so good. I'm quoting, quote, COVID-19 is revealing just how deeply rooted the idol of science is in our modern worldview. Science is the religion of our day. Even Christians succumb to the temptation to look first to science. Look first to science for answers and questions and for help in our time of need. Science entices us with the same allurement that was in the garden. This pandemic is also revealing the unreliability of this idol, science. We sit in our homes and gripe that science has not relieved us from our plight. We complain that we aren't able to get out of the house, that self-isolation is unnecessary and harming the economy. Or we complain that reopening the country too soon will cause more people to die. We complain that first we were told masks don't help, and then we're told that we need to wear them to protect others. We were told that there is no treatment. Then we were told that hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin were the cure we were looking for, while other doctors said, well, the science is unclear. These angry complaints, get this, this is the point, these angry complaints and protests are targeted at various civil and medical and political leaders, 
but their root lies in the assumption that whatever our God is, we deserve better from it. And one of the American idols that God is busy destroying right now is this God of science. For many Americans, science is, or at least it was, their God. Perhaps their faith is being shaken now. Follow the science. How many times did we hear that during the pandemic? Well, we heard it a lot at the beginning of the pandemic, but we didn't hear that so much near the end because the science at best was confused. Follow the science, but whose science? It all depends on whose science you happen to be listening to at that moment, and just bear this in mind, whatever they say, you may agree with them at this moment, but their opinions, and that's often what they are, are quite subject to change. The American idol of science, humbled and destroyed. The American idol of education, humbled and destroyed. Many Americans worship at the altar of education. Tremendous amounts of money, time, energy, effort, focus on education. Our vaunted public education system from kindergarten all the way through higher education brought to its knees. The altar of prosperity humbled and destroyed. Many Americans worship the dollar. Sometimes we even call it the almighty dollar. We need to reserve the almighty as an adjective to describe God, not the dollar. But that shows you the idol. The almighty dollar. The pursuit of financial prosperity has received a rude wake-up call. One day we had the greatest economy in the world's history. The next, our economy was in economic freefall. It was like God switched off the lights. We went from the bright lights of Party City to the dark nights of what in the world just happened. The idol of pleasure in American society humbled and destroyed. It's pretty hard to paint the town red when everyone has been confined to their own homes. It's pretty hard to party, party, party when people have to wear masks and businesses and cities that would host these parties have been shut down in an effort to control the plague. The ideal, the idol of politics and power humbled and destroyed. Many of us follow the politics of the day, and we should, that's okay. But for too long, many of us have put way too much faith in our politicians, in our think tanks, and this idol, like every other idol, overpromises and underdelivers. Many of us have been involved in the past, and we should continue our involvement. We have been blessed by the Lord God Himself with the ability to participate in representative government, and we should do that. But we must guard our hearts, and we must not place our faith in political solutions. Politics can so easily bewitch us and mislead us, and just like every other idol, break our hearts, shatter our dreams, leave us crying in the dust. Psalm 146 warns of the foolishness of trusting in nobles, and I believe in this passage the word nobles there, in our context today, would work for any elected official or any appointed bureaucrat who has authority over us. Psalm 146 says this, starts with a praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. My soul praises the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. 
I will sing to my God as long as I live. Do not trust in nobles, in a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground. On that day, his plans die. Ed Stetzer says this, political idolatry idolatry happens when we begin fixating on what a human leader or a political leader can do for us more than we focus our eyes on our Heavenly Father, our true provider, who calls us to trust Him and not worry. I could go on and on. There are so many American idols that God is busy humbling and destroying all around us, and there will be more of this in the future. For our God is a jealous God. And he has every right to be jealous. And when I use the word jealous, I mean that in the righteous sense. There is a correct jealousy. And our God has it. And he has it for us and our affections. The psalmist says in Psalm 100, Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. His sheep, the sheep of his pasture. Just as the pot owes its very existence to the potter, we sheep owe our existence to our shepherd, our creator. He made us. We are his He owns us. Our God will brook no rivals. He has no competition. So enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. And his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. Brothers and sisters, in the last year and a half, we have witnessed something amazing in the world and in American society as a whole. Now I want you to look at the second statue. We've looked at America. Now let's look at your statue. You know, the one that's going to be posted above your grave. That's a bit morbid now, isn't it? But I would remind you, my dear brothers and sisters, that death is on its way. It is approaching And one of the lessons that I hope we have learned in the last year, year and a half, is that death for us may be just around the corner. And one day, your death will arrive, and your loved ones will be coping with how you will be remembered. Now, I I conferred with JJ, because he's our resident expert on cemeteries and death and all things thereabout, and he has a great ministry there. And he tells me that statues and cemeteries aren't really a big deal right now. But for the sake of the sermon, go with me here. And imagine that your loved ones decide to erect a statue above your grave to honor you. So I want to ask you, what would your grave statue look like? Some of us are a little bit sour. So it might look like our statue just had a lemon. Because we live our lives in such sourness and unhappiness that when people think of us, they don't think of us as joyful or happy or resting in the Lord. They think of us as a bit of a lemon. Or maybe your statue will kind of look angry because things get under your skin and 
you're upset a lot and maybe your brow is furrowed and there are lines in your forehead and there's an angry look. How will you be remembered? Well, I can tell you this, one thing's for sure. No matter how you're remembered, your idols will play a big point, a big part of how you're remembered. Even more importantly, your idols will play a big part in how the Lord receives you and judges you. Psalm chapter 19, verse 12 says, Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Could it be, my Christian brother and sister, could it be that the sin of idolatry is one of those unintentional sins in your life? Are we as Christians unintentional idolaters? One thing's for sure, the scriptures are clear. Anyone who takes another God for themselves is headed for disaster, great sadness, tragedy. Came across this story in the Daily Bread. Here's the quote. When we hear the word idol, we think of a statue of a person or animal that is the focus of worship. For example, we think of the golden calf the Israelites made soon after they left Egypt. And we know that God abhors such images Yet, is it possible that we are worshiping idols without knowing it? Then the Daily Bread devotional goes on to tell a story about a a lady who had such love for her car, she kept it in her garage, it was immaculate, she spent lots of time, money, energy, effort, focus. One night, the garage caught on fire. She was awakened for her sleep. She went out. She realized that the garage was on fire. Her precious automobile was in that garage. And she went. She would have gone into the garage, but her neighbors restrained her. And as they were restraining her, the car exploded. And it was then that she realized that my idol almost killed me. And trust me, your idols want to kill you. They want to take the life, they want to suck the very life out of you. Psalm 16, 4 says, the sorrows of those who take another God for themselves will multiply. Want to be sad? Want to live a miserable life? Here's the key. Be an idolater. Please allow me to take you to another psalm that talks about the insane idiocy of idolatry. Psalm 115. Not to us, Lord, not to us, But to your name give glory because of your faithful love, because of your truth. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. Eyes but cannot see. Ears but cannot hear. Noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk. They cannot make a sound with their throat. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who trust in them. This passage tells us that all glory belongs to God and to God alone. The contrast between our God, who is not made with human hands, our God who does whatever he pleases, and their gods, which are made, they're nice, okay. Silver, that's nice. Gold, that's okay. It's pretty. But they're made by human hands. And they may have eyes, but they can't see. They may have a mouth, but they can't speak. They may have ears, but they can't hear. Noses, but they can't smell. Lifeless idols cannot feel, cannot walk, 
cannot even make a sound with their throat. But don't miss the point of the psalmist. The point comes in verse 8. Those who make them are just like them, as are all who worship them. Idol makers and idol worshipers become like the idols themselves, lifeless. There is no life in any worship of anything but God Almighty himself. If you want life, we talk about abundant life quite a bit. If you want life, abundant life, uh, you're not going to find it in any of your idols. If you want cold, unfeeling death, then go right ahead. Worship your idols because that's where your idol is going to take you. How will you be remembered? What would your grave statue look like? Perhaps some of you, my dear brothers and sisters, are thinking, Brother Kevin, this is all well and good, and I agree with everything you're saying, but what does this have to do with me? I'm no idolater. Well, if that's the case, and I hope that it is the case, beware the idol of technology, too. If that's the case, then good. But beware the idol-making capacity of your own heart. Idols are sneaky. They're subtle. Here's my question to you. Have you ever put someone ahead of your relationship with God? If you did that, then that person really is functioning as an idol in your life. I think back to when I first fell in love with Rhonda. My relationship with her was so incredible, and I was head over heels in love with her. And I'm pretty sure that, I don't think I've ever told you this, honey, but I'm pretty sure that I worshipped you. And then we went and got married. And Thank you. And you know what? My idolatry got worse. I quickly came to the realization that I could not live without her. I'm pretty sure that we would classify this as worship. And then we had children. And once again, my idolatry got worse. If I thought I could not live without Rhonda before we had children, once Trevin and Justin and Tiffany and Weston got here, I knew I couldn't make it without her then. We've been married almost 41 years now, and the Lord and Rhonda have taught me so many things, but the most important thing that this beautiful gift from God has taught me is that my relationship with God has to be preeminent. It's God first. I must worship God supremely. All other relationships must pale in comparison. Some of you might be worshiping a person or a relationship and you've made them an idol in your life. Maybe some of you are worshiping a concept or a thought. Maybe you have put that in between yourself and God. And this is very subtle. I think back to when I first trusted Christ as my Savior and the people who were responsible for shepherding me and discipling me and bringing me Along, They wanted me to live a righteous, God-glorifying life. And so they told me, you need to have some standards. You need to do some things. You need to not do some other things. And, and so they set standards, high standards. And so I started making lists of what I was going to do and what I wouldn't do. And before you know it, my focus 
was not on living a righteous life for God. My focus was on making the list. And I, I really began to measure my spirituality by whether I was doing the list or not and how I was doing on the list. And so as is with the case with many of our idols, what was once a good thing became the preeminent thing or the major thing, and the good thing became a bad thing. It's okay for me to love Rhonda, y'all. It's okay for me to have high standards and to say, these things I will do to honor and glorify God, and these things I will stay away from. That's okay. But when those things or those people become more important to you than the one that we're supposed to be worshiping, then those people and those concepts have become idols. How about excellence? It's okay to pursue excellence. You should pursue excellence. But if you pursue excellence at the cost of relationships that you need to be in so that you can serve them and serve the Lord, then excellence has become an idol. I must and you must worship God supremely. All other good relationships and good concepts must pale in comparison. And some of you are still thinking, okay, Brother Kim, I still don't think I have an idolatry problem. And I hope you don't, pray you don't. But please allow me to share with you just this little diagnostic tool to help you determine if maybe, just maybe, one of those sneaky, subtle idols have crept into your life, into your life unaware. And so here, here's my question. What makes you mad? What irritates you? Think on that for a moment. Think about the last time you really got mad. I'm talking about mad. What was it that made you mad? I love the illustration of a of a hot, steaming cup of coffee. It's hot. It's steaming. And the barista has once again, as is their usual procedure, put too much coffee in the mug. And you're trying to get back to your table without spilling it. You're desperately thinking, I do not want to spill this. The coffee's hot. It's going to burn my hand. And you're thinking, do I hold the mug with one hand? Or to just concentrate on getting my walk right. And you're going back to your table and you're thinking, do I put my other hand up? No, I don't want to do that. I'll, I'll just end up burning both hands. And as you're almost at the table, somebody bumps you. What happens? Ouch. What was in the cup comes out of the cup onto your hands and burns you. Forget the coffee shop, and let's just go to regular, normal, everyday life. And what happens when someone accidentally or on purpose bumps you? What comes out of the cup is what's in the cup. And if anger comes out, then that's what's in you. Maybe it's you want to get your way. I think that's what it was for Frank Sinatra. You know, he wrote a song about it. My way, I did things my way. Maybe you got to have your way. Maybe your motto is like what my motto used to be, my way or the highway. Whatever it is, what's inside comes out when you get bumped, when you get mad. What really irritates you, what ruins your day, whatever it is, eh, that may be, that may be one of your idols. My brothers and sisters, I want you to be happy and blessed and content 
in the life that the Lord has laid out for you. God does love you. He does have a wonderful plan for your life. And I want you to be happy. So you want to be happy? Get rid of your idols. Instead of meditating and thinking and focusing on your idols, meditate and focus on God and His Word. You know, He wrote you a love letter. Be good if you read it every now and then. Read the Old Testament to see how God prepared the world, how God prepared His people for the coming of His beloved Son. Read the Gospels to see Jesus and all the beauty and the majesty of both His humanity and His deity and then what He did for us on the cross and how He died there and how He rose again. Study Acts for the blueprint of how the first church began and how we as the church are to serve our Lord and Savior until His return. Read the epistles to learn how we are to live our lives in sweet obligation and obedience to Him. Marvel at the mysteries of Revelation. Get ready for one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're about to have an invitation. This time of invitation is for you. Some of you need to humble yourself and come and kneel at the altar here in front of your brothers and sisters. And that is no little thing. That's a big thing. But some of you need to lay some idols here at the altar and not pick them up. Some of you need to go and tell us that you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. Some of you need to tell us that you're ready to be baptized. Some of you need to tell us that this is the church that the Lord wants you to serve in. Whatever the Lord is telling you to do, please be obedient. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son. Father, we know you love your son. He's your beloved son. And we know that you were not content to leave us here in our discontent. We know that you were not going to stand by while the world went to hell, that you were going to send your son as the bridge, the mediator, the propitiation for our sins. Thank you for doing that. I pray, Lord, that you would clear the idols out of our lives, clear the clutter of idols, and help us to be, remain focused steadfastly on you and you alone. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.